Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Dear Lord and Father, I just thank you for your word. Thank you that you um, wrote a book for us to, to read and learn more about you. Um, I pray that <coughs> as Mark unpacks this um, passage, that you would speak through him, give us open hearts and um, just pray that you would bless him as he uh, unpacks this further for us. Thank you for this time of worship. In your name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, as we've gone through 1 Corinthians, the topics have been difficult. Um, they have not been, uh, how do you say, um, Simple to deal with, simple to hear, and yet it's in Scripture, and God is giving it to us for a reason, for a purpose. Yes, this was written to a specific church in the midst of specific issues, in the midst of a specific culture, but that does not mean it does not apply to us uh, today as God's people. And I think that's an important thing to remember, too, is that this is written for the church. This is for believers. And so as he's spoken about these different issues, that um, this is not about salvation. This is not about making sure that you're living a right life in order to be saved. That's not how salvation is laid out in Scripture. But once God saves you by grace through faith, through Jesus Christ, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, when he does that, when he saves us as his people, well, then there is an expectation by God for us to live a holy life. And as I, I like to say, we're striving from the moment we become a believer until the day we die or Christ comes again. It is a constant battle against the flesh. This is what he's trying to get across to the church. He's teaching the church in Corinth, Paul is, that they should have a pure church. Now, pure as in faithful and holy and if you allow false teachings or you allow uh, uh, misunderstandings of what sexual immorality is, what is right and what is wrong according to our own needs rather and desires rather than what God says is right and wrong, well then that creates an impure church. And like yeast in a whole loaf or whole lump of dough, sexual immorality and, and faithlessness comes into the church and it infects the entire church eventually. And so when it comes in, you've got you to deal with it immediately. And so the first, the first thing he, he deals with is 
a man takes his father's wife, unrepentant of this sin, and he says if he continues to be unrepentant, then you need to kick him out of the church because he's bringing unfaithfulness to this. He's unrepentant of this sin. And so you must disassociate with him, disfellowship with him in hopes that he will see the waywardness of his ways, come back to Christ, and when he repents of his sin, you welcome him back into the folds of the family of God. And then, last week we looked at the grievance between two believers who are taking each other to court over a trivial manner. And he's saying, why would you, over small issues, go to a corrupt, unbelieving, sinful court system? And we talked about the difference between the Roman court system and our court system. It's a very different type of system than what we think of uh, today. Why would you go there to deal with your trivial matters in order to hurt or harm your brother or your sister? Is there no one wise among you? And he's saying there should be wise people, wise men, wise women among you who can walk with you through this so that you not only don't destroy your brother, but you don't destroy the reputation of the church to an unbelieving world and ultimately the, re- uh, the reputation of Christ to an unbelieving world. Because if you're going to act like the world, then why would the world ever come to the church? Why would they ever need Christ? Well, you're the same way. There's no change. There's no difference between us and you, they say to the church. And so he's trying to teach them and say, you need to live holy lives, strive to live holy lives. And today, this passage today is the same. He's, he's dealt with sexual immorality within the church. He's dealt with greed and selfishness within the church. And both of those situation that, situations that Paul has laid out, they're symptoms of the deeper issue within the Corinthian church of spiritual immaturity and the influence of an unbelieving Roman culture on the church. On the surface, today's passage deals with the issue of prostitution. But again, prostitution is just the symptom. Now, we aren't given enough information to narrow down exactly what issue is taking place within the church. Are some believers having sexual relations with prostitutes? Are some believers, uh, uh, is he speaking towards, is Paul speaking towards believers um, who uh, are dealing with the temptation of prostitution in a general sense? Is he speaking of, thinking of a specific situation of one person within the church? We're just not told. We're not given that information. So all of it is just speculation. But the deeper issue is the same. Paul's argument uses the physical body to point the Corinthians to eternal truths about who they are. And so first, this physical body, this body that we have right now is a temporary vessel. It is temporary. In verses 12 and 13, he uses three statements that uh, seem to be familiar to the Corinthians in order to correct their thinking. He says, all things are lawful for me. This is a, a statement that has to do with Christian freedom, where the Old Testament laws place restrictions on God's people on such things like food, spiritual or a ritual purity, and things like that. Christians have a greater freedom in those things because of Christ's fulfillment of the law through his life, death, and resurrection. 
Christ fulfilled the law. And so there are some of those things that no longer apply to the, to the church, but the church in Corinth had become extreme in their understanding of their freedom by believing that all things are lawful for the church. And Paul points out that though in, in some senses that may be true, in the sense of like, well, as a believer, yes, I can sin and I'm not going to lose my salvation. God's not going to disown me as his child. But that's not the right way of thinking. That's the attitude of, well, I'm, I'm a believer. I got, my, I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. I could do whatever I want, and God's going to show me grace. And Paul says in Romans, uh, no, that's not how that works. That is the wrong attitude. He points out that not everything in this world and in our lives are actually helpful for them. In fact, there are many things that society offers which are harmful to the faithfulness of the church. Yes, all foods are lawful to be eaten. They are free to enjoy that nice, crispy piece of bacon, for instance. And now all of us say amen. There you go. Those who don't say amen will have to have a conversation afterwards. But one can be harmed by or even enslaved to their freedoms. Food can become as much of an idol as Zeus. For the believers. But Paul's main point is not food. Paul's main point is sexual immorality. Just as there is a proper use of food, so it is the same with the sexual morals of the church. Not everything is helpful. Many things can enslave the mind and the heart of the individual. Food for the stomach, food is for the stomach, and stomach is for food. But God is going to destroy both because this physical body is temporary. The satisfaction of the sinful cravings of the body, whether through food or sex, is only temporary. The Corinthians are enslaving themselves to the gratification of a physical body that will one day, one day be destroyed by God at the second coming. See how their mindset is, is off. We've talked in the last couple of weeks. Are they thinking eternally? Remember, he's talking to, un, uh, to believers here, not unbelievers. These are people who say, Jesus Christ is my master, but their life is not following that trajectory. The body, this body is temporary, but on the day that Christ appears, the church will be given new eternal bodies. And he actually touches on this in verse uh, chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 50 through 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 55. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that this physical body cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That is, this temporary body inherit eternal life. Something has to happen to this perishable body. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, that is, at the second coming of Christ. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. We shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This body will one day melt away. It will be gone. But at the second coming of Christ, He will give us a new eternal body. So if you're keeping notes and you look at the the bulletin insert, it says, my body is eternal. I'll just say, my future body is eternal. This thing's going to die, praise Jesus. It's gone. No more pain. I'm not going to have any of those issues. We're going to have a glorified body. Once saved... Once we are saved, though, once the church, the Corinthians were saved, the purpose of their temporary physical body is transformed. The unbelieving world lives to satisfy this body, food for the body, body for the food. But God's people will one day be given a new eternal body. And until then, the Christian is to dedicate this temporary body not to its gratification, but to the Lord. Verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the body, and the Lord for the body. Just as God raised Christ from the dead, so will he raise this body into an eternal glorified body by his power. For the believer in Christ, the one saved by God's grace and not by any work of his or her own, This temporary physical body is to be used for the Lord. His body is to be handled and used with eternity in mind. So the believer is to ask, is what am I doing being done to gratify the will and desire of the Lord or of myself? Is my attitude eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die or whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. So yes, the Corinthians will one day inherit eternal life with eternal bodies, but it is also true that this temporary physical body is nonetheless united with Christ. Eternity can be revealed in these temporary bodies, even if dimly, in a here but not yet sense. We are transformed. We are different as God's people. The Corinthians, Paul is saying, You need to live the life that God has called you to live in this world. Yes, perhaps it's true. All things are lawful for me. I'll never lose my salvation. But not all things are helpful. And many of them enslave. So live this life with eternity in mind. And live with your bodies and through your bodies in a way that glorifies the one who gave you life. Because you are one with him. You are united with him. And so to teach the Corinthians the folly of their their thinking, their current thinking, Paul uses the negative situation of the sexually immoral union with a prostitute to reveal to them the positive reality of the Christian's union with Christ. So Try to listen, try to explain this as best as I can. In our society today, sexual encounters are treated as transactions, similar to going to the grocery store, buying a bag of candy. 
That's, that's just the reality of how our society views sex. Sexual transactions are the services of prostitutes, though. That's what happens. Whether it's on the streets or, in the case of the Corinthians, temple prostitutes. But the Bible views such encounters as becoming one flesh, a union which is more than simply physical. There is a deep emotional and, yes, I would say spiritual union that occurs in a sexual union between a man and a woman. There are no long, they are no longer two, but they are one. They are one flesh. Each Christian is a member of Christ, Paul says. We're united together with him. The church is his bride and he is their groom. And just as it would be immoral for a husband to be united with and be made a member of a prostitute, how much more with the bride of Christ? He who is joined to a prostitute becomes one flesh with her, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Union with Christ involves not just the body, but the whole person. And if union with a prostitute severely damages the oneness of an earthly marriage, how much more the oneness between God and His bride? Because to become one with a prostitute is against God's word, it's against His desire, it's against His will. And to be unrepentant of that is a very dangerous place for the church to be. Now, I understand sexual immorality within a marriage could mean the end of that marriage. That's the reality that we live in in a sinful world. But for a true believer in Christ, even the sin of sexual immorality does not remove that Christian from union with God, okay? So, to become one with a prostitute can end a marriage. But to sin against God in this way as his child does not remove you from his family. It does not remove salvation from you. Okay? You have to make that clear because then you start becoming legalistic and moralistic. And that, that's not what the Bible teaches. You may not be removed from the family of God, but it is severely going to damage your union with God. The sin against a spouse, I guess whatever sin it is, has some effect, some greater, some less, on that marriage and on that relationship. Trust is lost and has to be earned again. The, the richness and the deepness of the intimacy between two people is, is damaged, and that takes time. How much more so with our Creator in heaven when we willingly and unashamedly sin against Him it has a severe damage on the union, though that union is never ended. That has, to, that has to be kept in mind. Now, some would say, well, who is God to tell me what to do with my body? That, that's word of, you're reading this, you're like, well, who are you to say, God, what I should do and what I shouldn't do with my body? Well, this question makes the mistake of believing that the Christian is his own master. According to God's word, which is the standard of truth and identity for us as God's people and for the Corinthians, the one who is saved by God's grace is owned by God. You are not your own, 
for you were bought with a price, he says. Christ willingly went to the cross, taking upon himself the punishment for the Corinthian church's sin, shedding his blood and giving his own life so that they may live eternally with God. He sacrificed himself and secured an eternal redemption for them. And through Christ, God no longer holds their sin against them. Praise God. They were once slaves to their sinful desires, but Christ brought them or bought them from bondage and made them his own. He is their master now. But he is not a master who is cruel and uncaring because he loves those whom he has bought. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they are God's people and individually they are the temple of God. They are his holy dwelling place. That's amazing. Think of the reality that God of the universe, the one who created all things by just the word of his mouth, dwells in his people individually and willingly dwells. I know my own heart. I know what I struggle with. And he says, but you were holy to me, Mark, and I will dwell in you and with you. They are, the Corinthians are God's holy dwelling place, and so they are to honor God in their bodies, meaning that everything they do, everything they think, everything they say should be done for the glory of God. Not for our own appeasement, not for their, I should put it in the Corinthians, not for their own appeasement, not to appease society so that we look like we're nice people and, and, and we care about them. All things are to be done for the glory of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're jerks. That doesn't mean the Corinthians should, you know, do a Westboro Baptist and start, you know, pounding with, with signs and saying how horrible people you're all going to hell. But that also doesn't mean watering down the truth of God. It also doesn't mean living like the world so that we can be seen as, as oh man, they, they're just like us. That's a bad thing, Paul is saying. Everything they do, everything they think, everything they say is done for the glory of God. In fact, Paul's going to address this in chapter 10 when he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the, to the glory of God. It seems that the Corinthian believers, they're minimizing sin simply because, in this case, with, with uh, uh, immor- immoral acts with a prostitute, it's a physical act. So, I mean, what's the big deal? If I'm a spiritual person, then the, the physical act is not that big of a deal. But Paul is saying, when you were washed and sanctified and justified by the blood of Christ and by the Spirit of God, your whole being was transformed. Their bodies were no longer to be used for the here and now, but for the glory of their master who saved them and gave them the inheritance of eternal life. Now, if you're a believer, and I'm just telling you where my mindset as I was studying this week and as God has been, you know, exposing my own heart to myself, you go, golly, this is difficult. It's easy to hear, it's easy to say, But man, it is so hard. It is so hard to live this out. And so Paul helps them. And he understands that this this is difficult. There is a war within us between the Spirit and our flesh, even as Christ's people. How are we to respond? 
And when we fail, praise God, He shows His grace. We confess our sins to Him. He's already forgiven that, but it starts to heal that, that, that injured union with Him. The relationship starts to become restored. The more we confess that to Him and, and, and say, yeah, you are, I am your child, God. And so we praise God for that, but are we truly fighting sin in our hearts? We're truly fighting sin in our lives. Are the Corinthians, are you really fighting this sin? Are you really really striving to live for Christ? And if not, then here's, here's, here's one application for you guys. He says, flee from sexual immorality. And to me, this brings back to mind the story of Joseph when he fled from Potiphar's wife. If you know this story, Potiphar had purchased Joseph as his slave and entrusted him with everything that he owned except his wife, which makes sense, right? And when that woman attempted to force herself upon Joseph, he did not stay to ponder the situation. He did not have a long and meaningful talk with her, debating the pros and the cons. To sleep with his master's wife was a sin against his master, Potiphar, but it was an even greater sin before his true master, God. And Joseph knew this. And so he fled. Literally, he ran out so fast that he didn't even come back to grab his outer garment. That means he ran away in his underwear and he didn't care what people thought because it was wrong for what she was trying to do. He fled from sexual immoralities. Yes, as Christians, we have freedoms. We're not bound by the Old Testament laws of fruit restrictions or washing hands before worshiping the Lord, but not all things are helpful. And those same freedoms can enslave us. We are God's people. We've been united with Him through the shed blood of Christ. And so, because of that, flee sexual immorality as defined by God's word, not by the society around us. Our society says what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. Our society says they read, they read God's word or hear God's word and they say that is so archaic. We are so much more enlightened today. Live for you. You be you. Follow your heart. That is the most damning and sinful thing our society has ever said. Because where is our heart without Christ? It is dark and it is doomed for hell. Without Christ, we are lost. We are blind. So follow your heart, blindly running into walls that will lead eventually only to your destruction. But Christ came and he says, no, don't follow your heart, follow me and I will change your heart. So flee. Flee from sexual immorality as his people. Fight the influence of an unbelieving society upon us as a church and as individuals, individual believers. Flee from sin towards your master because we were bought with a price and so glorify and honor God with your body. What, what does that look like? It's a great statement, isn't it? It's a true statement. <laughs> it, I mean, it's in Scripture. It's like, yeah, this is what God says. But what does that look like? What does it look like to flee from sexual immorality? 
My, my assumption is you don't have too many people like Potiphar's wife in your life. But Christ alludes to the answer when he says in Matthew 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. So the greater question is, what are we filling our hearts with? Are we meditating on God's word day and night? Are we truly fighting against our sinful fleshly desires with the truths revealed in God's word? I mean, like truly fighting, not going like, oh, I'm going to fight. Oh, look, that's not fighting. Fighting is painful, and it may even kill you. Are we fighting sin? Are we surrounding ourselves with fellow believers who are striving to avoid crude joking, filthiness, and foolish talk? That's Ephesians chapter 5. Now, that doesn't mean that we avoid the world. Paul says this in the previous chapter. Like, I'm not talking about an unbelieving world. You don't act like them. You be in the world, but not of the world. Don't be like them. But man, they need to hear Christ. They need to hear the gospel. They need to see it lived out. And so be in the world. Show them what Christ is really about and how he transforms lives. But do not surround yourself with them in the sense of bad character corrupts. I mean, we all grew up, right? Parents saying, what kind of friends do you have? Who are your best friends? Does it mean avoid those people who are bad? No, you need to pray for them, you talk to them, you gotta gotta love them, you gotta care for them, But, but don't spend all your time with those people because they will corrupt you. And if the church is spending all of its time in an unbelieving world in the sense of just gathering unbelievers around you and you're not having the church pour into you and hold you accountable, surrounding yourself with fellow believers, then you are in danger of sliding and allowing the yeast of unfaithfulness to enter your life. Are we fostering and pouring into relationships with fellow Christians who will call us out in our sin? Do you welcome someone to come up to you and say, I have some concerns? Or do we ignore them? Now, there are people who will tell you what they think, so you need to consider the source, okay? (laughs) But a loving, caring brother or sister in Christ who comes to you and says, I have concerns. Are we willing to change? Are we willing to hear that and and say, yes, if this is a sin, man, I I need to offer this up to Christ. Do we pour and foster, pour into and foster those kinds of relationships in our life? Are we pouring into the word of God? Are we reading it on a regular basis, daily basis? Not just regular, because regular can be once a month, but daily, getting into his word, not just on Sunday mornings. Are we making sure that we don't neglect gathering with the saints? Do we need to get rid of that smartphone? Like, whoa, well, I mean, don't push it, Mark. Come on. That's like my, that's like my lifeline. I need that. Well, are you struggling with sexual immorality? Fleeing means maybe you need to get rid of that cell phone. And heaven forbid you have a flip phone that gives you only calls and texts. 
Do we need to get rid of the computer or television in our, in our house, household, along with any subscription to streaming services? Now, this probably sounds extreme, but, and in reality, in, in our society, that is extreme. <laughs> and you may be saying, well, how immature are you? Does it really matter? If you're struggling with sexual immorality, fight. Fight. Because isn't our union with God worth any sacrifice? I mean, he, he sacrificed his only son to buy us from slavery to our sin and give us eternal life in his presence. Are we willing to give, these temporary, give up these temporary bodies for his glory and honor? Even if it means inconvenience. God calls us to holiness. We are his dwelling place. And all of us struggle with unholiness in one sense or another. And God speaks to us and He guides us. I mean, He is in us, right? He knows our heart better than we do. This is His dwelling place. He's here. He sees it all. The corners with all of the spider webs in it and the dust bunnies. He sees it all. The dark places that nobody, none of the doors that you want to open. He knows everything. And he's saying, I'm here to help you clean house, Mark. I gave my son for you. You willing to clean this up a little bit? You're still my son. I will love you till the end. But follow me. Trust me. And I will sanctify you. I will make you holy. Are you willing to give up yourself for me, that's, that, that's a big question. Is my relationship with Christ more important than food or smartphones or internet access? Again, I, I get it, easier said than done, but fighting hurts. <laughs> fighting hurts. And in the end, it is worth it. You know the old saying, everything, everything worth fighting for, it hurts. There, it, it, it's valuable, fight for it, and in the end, you'll, you'll have it. Well, this is the best thing that we could ever have. Holy union with God and an undamaged relationship with Him. And so, flee sexual immorality and fight sin in our lives. Father, I pray for us as your people, not only as a church, but individually, that God, when our sin is exposed by you or by fellow believers, that we would not become defensive, God, that you would soften our hearts, that we would find joy in repenting and joy in in a more holy union with you, God. You call us to be perfect as you are perfect and you are making us perfect. And the day that will one day come when your son comes again and and that will be fulfilled, we will be giving eternal bodies. But until that day happens, Father, strengthen us, guide us, 
convict us, encourage us to flee from sexual immorality and to live with eternity with you in mind, God. May you be more important to us than us. And may an unbelieving world see that and hear that. And may you save them through that. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our final song?